Dear listener and fellow story lover, This seasonal short story is a poignant reminder of the importance of our relationships and how our actions affect those we love. Regular, compassionate self-reflection and discernment is vital, taking the opportunity to step outside of ourselves, to see our deeds from another's point of view, not only yields tremendous benefit, but can be very nurturing to ourselves and those we love. George's such journey, assisted by the innocence of Billy and the wisdom of Isabel, is heartwarming and joyous. I hope you enjoy this week's Stories from Before. When the Whisper Came The Story of a Temper Gone Awry Written by Helen Ward-Banks Read by Selina Cadell By permission of the Lutterworth Press Music by Stacey Weir I want to play with Grampy, demanded Billy's voice from the hall. And then Isabel's soft remonstrance. Oh no, precious, Grandfather is busy now. Come with Mother. I need you to help me send off all my Christmas presents. When Uncle Nori comes, he won't be too busy to play with me. We'll all be glad to see Uncle Nori, won't we? Come, darling. Billy's baby feet trotted across the hall and up the stairs beside his mother's and his baby voice joined hers as she sang. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. George Powell, left alone in his library, frowned still more pretentiously above his shaggy brows. He was indulging in a fit of temper. He'd been crossed with Billy at breakfast time, and now Isabel was keeping the child away. Billy bore no grudge. There was no doubt that Mr Powell had stepped out of the wrong side of the bed that morning. A twinge of gout had awakened him to the cold, cheerless dawn which was dripping rain from its leaden December skies. He had meant to drive to the woods with Billy to find a Christmas tree, but the rain ended that plan. He got up cross. His room was too cold to dress in and his bath too hot to bathe in. His eggs at breakfast time were too hard and his coffee too weak. He'd snapped at Billy for kicking his bad foot and at Hodgkins for not drying the morning paper. Then Hodgkins had dropped a plate and been magnificently dignified ever after. As if that were not enough, his letters had been full of Christmas appeals. Mr Powell disliked giving away money as much as he liked making it. And as climax to all, when he had opened finally the letter which now lay before him and which had been written by his only son, He had read. Dear Father, when I wrote you about my bills, I forgot Sims the tailor and Dixon the motor garage man. I'm afraid it'll take another hundred to square them. Dixon is quite rusty about it and vows I shan't leave town till I settle. Christmas is three days off, so you'll have just time to get a check off before then. I hope it isn't too much to dump on you just before Christmas, but you're such a good old sport you won't mind. I could do with a little more than the hundred all right. This place eats money. Love to Belle and Bill. I'll be with you soon. So prepare the fatted turkey. Lots of love, Norman. On that letter, George's wrath culminated. He had some excuse. Not six weeks back, with a sharp remonstrance and a bodeful warning, he had paid a batch of bills for Norman big enough to take an ordinary boy through his varsity course. Nori's frank blue eyes had smiled cheerfully over the remonstrance, 
and tried to look sober over the warning, but the words had gone in one ear and out the other. He liked spending money, as well as his father liked making it, and he found plenty of ways to do it in his clean-souled, merry-hearted, generous fashion. Money bought fun and ease and popularity, and there had always been money flowing through his fingers since he was born. No one had ever taught him how to spend it. He was scolded at regular intervals, but the money never stopped. What did remonstrances and warnings mean to him? Mr Powell picked up Norman's letter and read it through again. He dropped it on the desk as a sharp twinge of gout nipped him. It's time that boy had a lesson, he muttered. The young spendthrift. Billy knows more of the care of money than Norman does. Isabel, singing, came downstairs and into the library. She still wore her black dress for Billy's father, and Christmas was making her heart ache. Although her lips smiled bravely and her eyes, frank and blue like Norman's, were clear and peaceful. She tore at George Powell's heart, for he loved her and knew her loneliness. He showed his sympathy in expressing his bad temper. It isn't necessary to shout hymns all over the house, is it? Just because it is Christmas week, he demanded. Christmas is folly and angels are myths. Oh no, father, she answered softly. You don't mean that. Christmas is beautiful and the angels are all about us. Billy and I are having such a good time getting off our Christmas presents. Something troubles you, doesn't it? Something will always trouble me till Norman learns not to be a fool. She laughed and kissed his forehead. <laughs> oh, Norrie, more bills, I suppose. Isn't he an extravagant youngster? You'll have to forgive him now, because it's Christmas. She went up again to the nursery and Billy. Mr Powell's wrath boiled the more deeply because the cause of it had been disposed of in such an insouciant fashion. If Isabel and Norman both thought Norman's extravagance a laughing matter, they would find they were wrong. If Norman had any sense of proportion, Mr Powell thought peevishly, if he would have some humility in his asking, he thinks I'm a pump to bring up gold for him. That's all he cares about me. He casually mentions what he wants and I provide it, and Isabel thinks it's a laughing matter. Nothing I say makes any impression on Norman. I wish he were young enough to spank. The house was silent. He had stopped Isabel singing. The rain pelted. Mr Powell's foot jumped. The letter stared at him from the table. It was all unbearable. In a sudden access of irritation, he picked up the letter and tore it into a dozen pieces. As he dropped them into the wastebasket and reached for his irate pen, Hodgkins came into the room with a telegram. Mr Powell, frowning, opened it. Hurry up with the chink, father, and I can skip out a day earlier. Norman. No answer, Hodgkins, George said curtly. Noiselessly, Hodgkins withdrew. Mr Powell crumpled the telegram into the waste paper basket and with a set jaw took his pen. The pen, dipped in the acid of anger, wrote a letter that would burn itself into the proud, sensitive young soul of a boy and leave a scar. 
after Norman had read that letter, there would be an end of the love and frankness that had heretofore existed between father and son. Dimly, George felt that, as he wrote, but the demon within him drove him on. The gout bit and stung. The rain changed into sleet and slashed the windows. Upstairs, Billy's little voice broke out into, Hark the herald angels sing, and his mother hushed him. Mr. Powell set his teeth more grimly and wrote harsher things. He sealed his letter without rereading it, stamped it, and laid it on the hall table beside Isabel's parcels. It refused to pay Norman's bills. It forbade Norman to come home until the bills were paid. It threatened, if they were not paid, that Norman would be recalled from the university and set to ditch digging. But Patrick take the letters to the post at once he said to Hodgkins, and went on upstairs. He would not give himself time to repent. He stopped a moment at the nursery door. Isabel and Billy were too absorbed to notice him, and he felt shut out and aggrieved. The floor was strewn with Christmas packages, and Billy, with the aid of a bowl of water and a sponge, was laboriously pasting special Christmas seals bearing the words, "'Please do not open till Christmas,' on every package. Thank you, darling, he heard Isabel say as he moved off along the corridor. You are such a help. Now will you do one more thing for Mother? He banged his door behind him as Billy trotted obediently downstairs. For three hours, George Powell sat in his big chair by the window, nursing his twinges and his grievances, his soul cold and grey as the clouds, and his thoughts as inexorable as the sleet. Finally, Hodgkins, still aloof in manner, summoned him to luncheon. As he went through the hall, he glanced at the hall table. His letter was gone. George was grimly satisfied. But something away down inside him gave a sudden frightened leap. The thing now was inevitable. His letter was on the way. Norman would have it by five o'clock. Isabel was sitting before the library fire with Billy snuggled in her lap. Billy wriggled to his feet and ran to meet his grandfather. We've been talking about Christmas, Grampy. Which do you believe in, Santa Claus or the Christ child? Or do you believe in angels? Not the kind they put on Christmas trees. Real angels, I mean. Which do you believe in, his grandfather asked gruffly. The one that brings you the most presents? I believe in them all, but Mother says she'd rather believe in the Christ child. Would you too, Grampy? I'd rather go to luncheon. Run in and let Hodgkins put you in your chair. I've got a shilling for you after luncheon if you don't say 25 words all through the meal. How much will that make, Mother? asked Billy. Just a sovereign. How lovely, Billy cried. A whole sovereign for your present. I can buy you something beautiful, can't I? He romped across the hall to confide in Hodgkins, his yellow rings of curls tossing as he went. I approve of the way you're bringing that boy up, Isabel, George Powell said. He'll know how to handle money when he gets it. Isabel looked up with an audacious flash. Do you know, Father, I'm taking you and Nori for an awful example. In everything that regards money, I'm going to do just the opposite in every case. 
of that you have done with Nori. What do you mean? he asked, frowning. She laughed, a little embarrassed. If you haven't spoilt Nori, father, it's only because he's such a dear good boy. It isn't your fault you haven't. You blame me. Yes, father, I do. Nori is frightfully extravagant, and it's you who have made him so. He hasn't as much money sense now as Billy has. From his cradle, he's known he is a rich man's son. You've given him everything he's asked for, and a good deal he hasn't. Then you've scolded him for spending so much money, and then you've given him more to spend. And every once in so often, you come down on him like a thousand of bricks. I've been thinking about Nori since you spoke this morning and wondering what he's coming to. I wish you could reform a little, but I suppose it's too late. It isn't, he said grimly, but it is Norman that will do the reforming. Isabel spoke quickly. You didn't scold Nori now, father, just at Christmas time. That would hurt him. I'd be almost willing to have Billy grow up as extravagant as Nori if he would always love me as much as Nori loves you. That queer, sudden fright once more stirred the deeper part of Mr Powell's consciousness. For an instant, he would have given a fortune to have his letter back. But he stiffened again. If Isabel was right, if he had been spoiling Norman, the sooner he stopped, the better. The aggrieved Hodgkins showed himself very stiff and straight at the library door to remind them that luncheon was waiting. He was a symbol of calm reproach till Billy rushed him from behind and intruded a round, smiling face between Hodgkins' noble legs, grasping each pillar with a chubby arm. Hodgkins' dignity fell from him. He disengaged himself and retreated with what scattered composure he could muster. Billy dragged his mother into the dining room and struggled to pull out her heavy chair. He pushed it in with a suddenness that sat her down willy-nilly. The stay-in days are hard on, boys, she said. Aren't they, little son? Soon there won't be stay-in days, he answered, as Hodgkins tied on his feeder. Soon Uncle Nori's coming, and soon the sun will shine, and soon there'll be snow all over the ground, and soon Uncle Nori will take me out. It will be fun having Uncle Nori back, won't it? He'll have a nice long holiday. Mr Powell set his glass down sharply. I love Uncle Nori, Billy asserted, and you, and you, and you. A flourish of his spoon pointed out his mother, his grandfather, and Hodgkins in turn. And Mary and Bridget. Eat your luncheon, interrupted his grandfather. The limit of Billy's loving was on the far side of the cows and chickens. Eat your luncheon and keep still or there's no shilling coming to you. Just think quietly to yourself, dear, his mother interposed, what you're going to put in your letter to Santa Claus. Billy's curls bobbed vigorously. It's done. Hodgkins ridded it for me. Hodgkins doesn't believe in Santa Claus, but he believes in angels. He said so. Hodgkins seized the toast rack and fled to the kitchen on pretense of hot toast. He preferred Billy's society in the absence of his elders. I love Uncle Nori because he'd laugh so much, announced Billy. A vision of Norman's frank, clean, happy face flashed into George Powell's inner sight, and then suddenly it was changed. 
the blue eyes that had always met his so trustingly were averted. The smiling mouth was set and stern. Luncheon grew tasteless. He refused cheese and went back to the library fire. I didn't hurt your feelings, father, in what I said about Nori, Isabel asked as she passed. No, he answered shortly. I merely don't agree with you. I think Norman's extravagance is his own making, and strong measures have got to be taken to cure it. Measures is so cold, father dear. They may do for New Year's resolutions, but don't let's mix them up with Christmas. You drive Nori with a free rein all the year. Don't jerk the curb just at Christmas. She lingered for a moment, but he did not speak, and she went on upstairs with Billy, leaving her father to sit in the gloom alone. He thought far back over the time when Nori was a very little lad, and he had been fond and proud of him as he was of Billy now. He thought of all the Christmases that had been until this one, when there would be no Nori. Had he spoiled him? There had been no one to watch over Nori as Isabel watched over Billy. For a brief moment, George Powell thought of telegraphing Norman not to open the letter. But he was not used to eating his words. He gave him indigestion to think of it. Billy gambolled up and down the stairs all the afternoon till at five o'clock, rather sleepy and very loving, he came to snuggle into his grandfather's arms. Shall I tell you about Christmas, Grampy? he asked. He told the story of the Christ child born at Bethlehem as his mother had told it to him in the morning. Powell listened to the ever-new story told by baby lips. And every Christmas time, Billy finished, the Christ child comes and whispers in our hearts again and tells us to love everybody, and we do, and we give everybody presents. Listen, Grampy, don't you hear the Christ child whispering in your heart? I did, and Mother did. I haven't asked Hodgkins yet. George put the child on his feet. It must be your supper time, he said. Here comes Mary for you. Isabel came down to have tea with her father by the library fire. He talked little, and she chatted about Billy's Christmas stocking until Billy's voice proclaimed from the upper hall, Come and kiss me, Mother, I'm ready. Mr Powell followed Isabel upstairs presently. As he passed the nursery door, a pink pyjamaed Billy was saying his prayers. God bless Mother and Uncle Nori and Grampy and Hoskins and Mary and Bridget. But detail was getting too much for Billy's overflowing heart tonight, and he ended suddenly. And everybody everywhere, and send the Christ child to whisper love in everybody's heart. Good night. George Powell went on to his room with a heavy heart. The Christ child to whisper love? He would have liked to fret at Isabel for teaching the child such nonsense. But somehow, from Billy's lips, it was convincing. Christmas meant love, if it meant anything. And even the plea that justice was a part of love did not count here. It was not justice that had written his letter. It was bad temper. Isabel was right. He had let a colt go utterly untrained, and then in a vicious moment had put it on a curb and stung it with a whip.
He looked at his watch. It was seven o'clock. Nori had received the letter at five. It was all over now. His chance to telegraph was gone. At this Christmas time, when Billy sang of angels and listened to the Christ child, there was no angel for George Powell. There was little cheer at dinner, and less through the long evening. Mr Powell's conversation was all inward. He no longer defended himself. He knew that in a fit of anger he had killed the Christmas spirit and his boy's love. He would have given half his fortune to recall the letter he had sent. Nothing was so worthwhile as Norrie's love and confidence. He could have kept it. He could have paid his bills once more and talked the matter over reasonably afterwards. Norrie was a good boy and his only son. He would listen to reason. He would have listened to it long ago if it had been talked to him. He had blamed Norman for lack of self-control and he himself had been mastered by a fit of anger that had done harm that never could be repaired. Better have squandered twenty fortunes, he dismally told himself as he went finally to bed. The sleet turned to snow in the night and set to work making a white world that would delight Billy in the morning. The world had an easy way of covering its unsightliness. George Powell could not accomplish it. No blessed white soft veil could drop down over his consciousness as he lay awake. The big clock downstairs, solemn in the darkness, chiming hour after hour. It was almost dawn when the first ray of comfort came. Perhaps Norman might forgive. There never could be perfect relationship after Norman has read the bitter, stinging things his father had written, for the boy was proud in spite of his happy carelessness. But if George Powell never could have now what he might have had, there was the chance ahead that with patience he could win back some portion of his son's love. Norman was generous. He would try to forgive. With that hope in his heart, Mr Powell fell asleep. It was bright day when Billy's lusty voice awakened him. Hark the herald angels singing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled For a moment, Mr Powell lay smiling, looking out of the sunshine flooding the blue arch of heaven above and the white curves of a new created earth below. He and Billy would go after that tree this morning. Then down over him came again the black cloud of the consequences of his own hasty deed, and the smile was extinguished. It was Christmas time for everybody in the world but himself and Nori. If he had only listened to Billy's angels while his deed was still undone, it would take a miracle now an angel straight from heaven to cancel his act. And this was not an age of miracles, even if Billy did believe in angels. Billy had long finished breakfast when his grandfather appeared. 
He was in the library with his face close against the pane, watching Patrick put the finishing strokes to the path he had shoveled out. Mr. Powell, his shoulders drooping as if ten years had passed over him in the night, stood behind his grandson. Up Patrick's path came the telegraph boy. George saw him and winced. He would have fled from the message if it had been possible, but Hodgkins put it into his hands. His heart stopped beating as he slowly opened the envelope that enclosed his death sentence from his son's lips. The room swam. He could not see the words. When he could read them, they meant nothing to him. The sight of your handwriting on the envelope was enough for Dixon. He'll wait. I won't open till Christmas, as your seal directs. I'll be with you tomorrow. Hurrah! Norman. Twice, George Powell read it before he understood. Norman had not read the letter. There were Christmas angels. One had come straight from heaven to work the miracle he had not deserved. He picked up Billy and held him close. Did you stick one of your Christmas seals on my letter on the hall table yesterday? Billy nodded. I sticked on three things on the hall table, two teeny parcels and one letter. Mother asked me to go down and stick them on what was on the hall table, and I did, just ever so tight. Mr. Powell kept the child in his arms. Isabel, he said, write this message, will you, and send it off by Patrick at once. It's for Norman. Wrong letter sent you yesterday. Burn unread. And wiring money this morning to cover all expenses. We are waiting for you. Don't be long. Love from all. Father. Aren't you extravagant in your telegrams? Isabel laughed as she went off with it. George laughed too, softly to himself, as he held Billy close. He had his chance with Nori. His shoulders were straight and strong once more. It was Christmas time in a good old world that had covered all its errors under the garment of Christmas white. A world of miracle and angels. The Christ child would not have deeds of hate at Christmas time. He had sent a child, innocent and loving like himself, to undo the work of self-will and keep earth pure and white with Christmas love. Have you heard the Christ child whisper in your heart yet, Grampy? Billy asked. Yes, George Powell answered. I'm listening now. The end. I hope you enjoyed this magical Christmas story, a timely reminder of the existence of miracles. Please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your family and friends. I hope you enjoy a peaceful Christmas season and I look forward to being with you next week when I again share stories from before.